Hey, good morning. Today we're finishing, or not finishing, we're actually almost finishing, a series called iLink, in which we said, isn't it an irony of this generation that we have so much at our disposal? We've got instant messenger, we've got the web, we've got iPods, we've got so many things that ought to connect us with other people. You would think that this generation would have the best, most fruitful, most fulfilling relationships, friendships, marriages. We've got so much technology backing us. And yet, the reality is, we may be the most disconnected generation to ever walk the face of the earth. For most of us, life is driving home after work is done, having sat in our cubicle, pushing the button on our garage door, watching it go up, slipping in real quick before the neighbor can wave and close the door. Is that what God wanted? Or is it possible that when God created you and I, that thing that aches within us is a yearning and a longing to have friendships on a much more substantial, deeper level? And what would it look like if we broke some of the cultural norms? What would it look like if we said, I don't care, I'm going to find me some good friends. Some friends who will stand with me, who will rejoice and be glad when my life goes good, who will say the things to me that I need to hear said, a friend who has my back. And more than that, what would it mean, what would I have to do to be that type of friend to someone else? And so we've been going through this series. Now, the thing that we discovered is that there's been kind of a thematic thing. We started with it. It keeps showing up in every single sermon we do. Is that if we're going to be that type of friend, if we're going to discover those types of friends in our lives, then we have to begin with this premise, with this principle in our lives. Would I, could I, simply begin to treat other people in my life, the people that God has brought to me, could I treat them the way that Jesus has already treated me? Is it possible that I don't respond to them the way they've responded to me, and I, and I don't treat them the way they've already treated me, and, and, and I, I don't do to them what they've done to me? What if I simply did to them, treated them, the way that Jesus has already treated me? And you say, well, then that's, that sounds pretty impractical because there's some really crummy people out there. Uh, there's some yucky doo-doo people out there. There are some mm, people out there. And we said, exactly, because so were you and I before Jesus. And if we were really, 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 really honest, some of us still are. So what would it mean if you and I simply treated the people in our lives, not based on what they deserved, not based on what they did to us, but instead simply treated them the way Jesus has already treated me? So then we took this to the issue of forgiveness, and we said, whoa, 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 whoa. What would it mean if I forgave people the way that Jesus has already forgiven me? Not based on whether or not they've asked, not based on are they repentant, not based on did they fall at my knees and say, you're right, I was wrong. What if I simply forgave the people who've hurt me the most the way Jesus chose to forgive me when I hurt him? What if I did that to the people in my life? And then I just thought last week that Ron did an amazing, amazing job talking about acceptance. I think one of the best sermons I've ever heard on that topic. I went home last week and preached Ron's sermon to all my friends. And uh, just thought it was, and if you didn't hear it, you ought to buy that sermon. I, just amazing. But basically what Ron said and what he brought us from Scripture was this. That true biblical acceptance of people around us is saying to them, look, it's okay. It's okay. 
I'll accept you. I'll give grace to you. And, and it's okay where you are right now. It's all right. But I love you too much to leave you there. So I'll give you grace and I'll accept you and I'll take you as you are. But as a friend, I'll look for the moment to speak truth in your life. I love you too much to leave you where I found you. What a great, powerful message on acceptance. So today we're going to come and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. And we're going to talk about the idea of that true friendship, the thing that you and I are called to, causes us, asks us, would you be the type of friend who not only says to your friend what they want to hear, would you consider being the type of friend who says to your friend what they need to hear from a friend? And the truth is, guys, it's going to scare some of us. Some of us are going to be real uncomfortable as we talk about this. But here's what I'm going to ask you. Is it possible that this is what real friends do for friends? Now, some of you are going, oh, great. I came to church on Memorial Day, and then he's going to talk about this. Yeah. And speaking of Memorial Day, I think we ought to just take a moment this morning and just honor those who have served in military service for our country. Could we do that for a minute? Because here's the thing. Here's what we all get, right? Freedom isn't free. And there are those who have stood in the gap for us. And I think every once in a while you just got to stop and say, hey, thank you. Okay? So if you're here and if you have served in the military service in any capacity, would you stand Stand where you're at for us this morning. Thank you. Very, very cool. Very cool. No, no, no. Okay. Don't sit down. Stay standing. Come on, soldier. Stand in line. Okay, there you go. All right. Okay. Good. Here's what I want to say to you that are standing. You have our honor and you have our respect. And we just want to say to you, thank you for what you've done on our behalf for us. And what I want us to remember today while you guys are still standing, there are men and women serving right now in harm's way for you and me. And I think we need to remember them in prayer too this morning. Okay, so let's do that together. Dearest Heavenly Father, we come before you. And God, I just want to thank you for these that are standing. Thank you that in the moment that they heard the call, when they were asked, they said yes. And that in our behalf, they served. And we just ask God, would you bless them, bless them, bless them for that. They have our thanks. Would you now, God, reward them and give them because of what they've chosen to do for us. And then, God, I pray for those who are serving right now in harm's way. And we would just beg you, God, would you grant them safety? And, God, we're going to ask and be bold enough to say, would you shorten the conflict? Would you bring a good and honorable resolution to what's going on? God, don't allow us to pull out with our tail between our legs, but instead navigate a moment that, to be honest, God, right now looks pretty fuzzy. 
and give us wisdom and bring us to a moment that has honor and dignity and allow us to bring our troops home and say, thank you for what you've done for us. And it meant something. God, we ask you this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you, gals, for what you've done. Very cool. All right, we're going to talk this morning a little bit about what I think may be the highest calling of friendship. It's that moment in which I become a mirror to my friend, in which I say to my friend, do you see... Do you understand? And I think that takes two forms. There's the one moment in which I say to my friend, do you understand what God has given you and what God has trusted you with? Do you realize the potential? Do you realize what could happen in your life if you would simply... And it's the moment I encourage them to be what God made them and designed them to be in their lives. It's a word of encouragement. But I think there's just as equally the moment of the mirror in which I say to my friend, do you see what you're about to do? Do you understand the mistake you're about to make? Do you get the depth of the decision? And the lives will be forever changed if you do what you're thinking about doing. And I love you enough as a friend to say to you what you probably don't want to hear anybody say. It's the moment of the mirror. So let's just talk about these two moments uh, within friendship. The first one I think we all get. It's, it's what I call a word of encouragement. It's looking in someone's life and saying, wow, wow. I, I don't know if you get it. I don't know if you see it. But can I just tell you what I see in your life? And can I tell you what that last moment was? And can I just thank you for what you just did? And can I encourage you at how powerful that was and how life-changing that moment was? Can I just say to you what you may not see in your own life and in your own self? Scripture has an amazing, amazing, amazing example of this. So if you've got your Bibles today, go with me to the book of Judges. To what I think is just an absolutely cool story of encouragement. Judges. Now, if you're not real familiar, if you go to the front of your Bible, you look at the index, you can find it like all the rest of us. <laughs> now, if you go to the front of your Bible, start working to the right a little bit, you're going to find Judges. Joshua, then Judges. It's Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Let me give you some background while you guys are turning. Children of Israel are in kind of a moment of quandary and things are fuzzy and they're starving for leadership. And in the midst of this moment, God raises up at intermittent spots, guys called... Judges, thus the book of Judges. A judge would come, a judge would lead for a little while, and then a judge would be gone, and they'd be back in that same spot going, wow, you know, who, what, next, I, I don't know, thing. In the midst of that, there's a neighboring country, a warring tribe called the Midianites, huge group of people, who basically made it their practice to come in and invade Israel on basically an annual basis. They'd head on down into Israel right about the time they were getting their crops. They would pillage, they would loot, they would rape, they would steal, they'd take anything they could get. Basically spring break. <laughs> and then they'd go back home. They're called the Midianites. And, and so what's happening in Israel right now is they know spring break's coming. 
And, and so they're out harvesting their crops early. See, the thought is, if we can get it all brought in real quickly before the Midianites get here, we'll hide it. They won't see it, won't have the opportunity to steal it. We'll save some of it for ourselves. In this moment, there's a guy by the name of Gideon, who I'm sure many of you have heard about. Gideon is harvesting his crops. They're probably still a little bit green, and he's just hoping to get it done before the Midianites show up to steal it all. And as we come to this moment in this story... Gideon is down sifting his wheat in a wine press. You don't sift wheat in a wine press. Matter of fact, the right way in this time to sift wheat is this. You get out in a big open space. You hope for a breeze. You take your wheat and you toss it in the air. As the breeze comes through, it blows away all the chaff, all the stuff you don't want in your wheat because it's lighter. And then your heavy kernels fall down. It's how you sift wheat. Gideon is down in the bottom of a wine press where there's not one ounce of breeze going on because it's a hole in the ground, sifting his wheat. Why? Because he's scared to death the Midianites will show up early and see him. So he's down in the wine press, sifting wheat. Okay, you got the moment, right? In that moment, the angel of the Lord comes to encourage Gideon. Here it is. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Here's what it says. And the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah and belonged to Joash and Abirite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty warrior. Now, if you're Gideon, you're going, Dude, you have got the wrong address, wrong wine press. And yet what the angel of the Lord is doing at that moment is saying, Gideon, 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 you may not know this, but can I speak to you for a moment who you could be? Can I tell you what I see in you, Gideon? Boy, what a powerful moment. And if you guys know the story, you know he goes on to be one of the greatest generals of all time in Israel. Let me ask you a question. Ever had that moment? Ever had someone come and say to you, Oh, mighty warrior. Well, I see see in you what you could be. I think God made you to be. Could I just say out loud what you may not see yet? Oh, mighty warrior. It's hard to do, isn't it? If we're honest. Because if we were telling the truth, most of you have the same spiritual gift I have. The gift of criticism. Every time I take a personality test, it tries to be nice. Uh, It says, you're a maximizer. Which simply means you can see things that are perfectly okay and still want to fix them. I wonder how many people are left waiting for us to say, Oh, mighty warrior to them. I 
I was young and I was in ministry and I had just gotten fired from church. Now I'm going to tell you, that takes some work to get fired from church for the second time. <clears throat> and in that moment, see in that moment, I'm sitting around going, dude, this is bad. See, because the first time, the first time I got fired from church, I could look back and go, you know, I mean, there was some stuff that I probably should have done and could have done. So maybe it was my, no, no, no. But on the second one, if you'd, I'd have said, man, I, as far as I, I did everything right. I was a youth pastor. I was working with teenagers and I mean, you couldn't believe the spiritual depth of our group and the passion and the way kids were living. And it was a big group. I, how do you do everything right and get fired from church? And I, I just began, I was thinking, about, you know, maybe I'm in the wrong business. You know, maybe, maybe I ought to consider something else for my life's calling. And in the midst of that, a guy who'd been my mentor in ministry called me up on the phone and here's what he said he said Lynn that guy who fired you he didn't get it he didn't see you for who you are and he surely didn't see you for who you're going to be he didn't get it and I said oh no no that's you know that's, that's nice to say Thank you. He said, no, 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 Lynn. He didn't get it. And I believe this was so much in my heart. Will you come work with me? Oh, mighty warrior. Now, he didn't say those words, but I heard him. I wonder how many people in our lives, their lives would be forever changed. If you and I would simply stop and say to them, I, I, don't, I don't know if you see what I see. I don't know if you get what I get about your life. Oh, mighty warrior. It's a word of encouragement. It's what a friend says to a friend. It's what every one of us has needed at some point in our lives. You and I get that part of encouragement. We, we understand that part pretty well. It's the other part. It's the part of encouragement that's not saying what someone needs to hear or wants to hear. It, it's saying what they ought to hear. It's them standing on the verge of a mistake and loving them enough to say out loud, I just got to tell you something. And encouraging them infusing in them, encouraging them to do the right thing and not the destructive thing. Chances are, chances are, every one of us sitting in this room today knows somebody who needs someone to say something. We've all got a friend who's been making mistake after mistake, and it doesn't take rocket science to know where this is going to go. 
It's the friend who's flirting and says, no, 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 my marriage is okay. It's, it's, it's the friend who's doing business and cutting a few corners to get there and says, 21st century, come on, come on. It's that believer who's living one foot in the world and one foot in church and says, no, 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 I can navigate this. And chances are every one of us in the room knows someone who needs someone to say something. And here's what we say. Boy, someone ought to talk to them. Years ago, I was working with a high school group, and there was this couple that was part of the college group who was messing up their lives. And so, of course, someone needed to say something to them. And our names uh, were Tim and Lisa, but I've changed the names to protect the guilty. Tim and Lisa were this couple that just could not keep their hands off each other. I mean, they would come to church, and they're like, <laughs> in church. And you're thinking, could you take that to the back row? Wow. And, and, and here's the honest thing. You, you knew, I mean, if they're doing that in church, you know, we all knew what they were doing out of church. And here's the weird, weird, weird thing about their relationship. Although there was this incredible amount of, like, animal attraction going on, they didn't like each other. And I'm telling you that every time they weren't, they were fighting. I mean, they were fighting like cats and dogs, bloody, I hate your guts, fighting. And they were planning to get married. And all of us that knew Tim and Lisa said to each other, that's ugly. Do you see that? Someone ought to say something. Guess what we did? Nothing. And see, what I'm pretty convinced is, we weren't very good friends. Because someone, someone needed to say something. Now guys, this is hard for us. Because everything you and I have been taught about friendship in this culture and in this society fights against that you realize that we've grown up with kind of unspoken, unwritten rules, but we still know what they are and we know that they're true, that say, no, 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 no. No. Let me give you two rules. We know them. We just haven't written them down anywhere. Rule number one. Mind your own business. Keep your nose out of it. And because we believe rule number one, when we see a friend who's struggling, 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 here's what we say to each other. Hey, did you see? And then someone says, yeah, you, shouldn't someone say? No, 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 no. Mind your own business. But, but, but couldn't someone go meet with? No, 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 Mind your own business. But, but, but shouldn't someone sit them down? Mind your own business. It's rule number one in friendship. Don't break rule number one. Rule number two, when friends make bad decisions, don't talk to them, talk about them. (laughs) So here's what we do. It's our friend and they're getting ready to do something just totally stupid. I mean, it's just dumb. And so then we come running home and go, honey, did you hear about Jeff? Oh my goodness, you wouldn't believe. 
Shouldn't someone talk to him? No, 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 no. Rule number one, mind your own business. And if you're a Christian, then it's in the form of a prayer request. (laughs) Honey, we need to pray for Jeff. You'll never believe what he's doing. Our Father, help Jeff. (laughs) See, I'm not going to go talk to him. You're not going to go talk to him. We're just going to pray and maybe God will like cosmically appear in person in Jeff's bedroom and tell him, stop. Let's pray for Jeff. It's the unwritten rules of friendship. And here's what God would say to you and I today. I thought you wanted to be friends. Those are the old rules. See, that's that's how people who don't know God treat their friends. And you and I, who know Jesus, have been called to something else. Remember in Genesis, Cain slays his brother Abel. And God comes to Cain and he says, Hey, where's your brother? And Abel... Or King says back, what am I, my brother's keeper? And I think because God was silent in that moment, we all think maybe Cain made a point. You know what I think God's silence in that moment is? I think it's God hanging his head and saying, Cain, you don't understand even that? Because God spends the next 3,000 pages of the Bible proving it wrong and says to you and I, you are You are, you are your brother's keeper. And life was never meant to be done solo, and I didn't make you to be alone. You are your brother's, your sister's keeper. God would say there's new rules. Here they are. Proverbs. Let's make sure it says it. Proverbs. And if you're not real familiar today, if you go kind of in the middle of your Bible, you're probably going to hit Psalms or Palms. Go right, you'll see this book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 27, written by the wisest man who ever walked the face of the earth, talking about friendship. New rule number one. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 5. Here's what it says. Better, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Better that a friend stand in public and say, don't do it, don't do it, it's wrong, it's a mistake, don't go there. Better is open rebuke than someone who sits there with their hands folded. But I love you hidden love. Better is open rebuke than hidden love, and the wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You get what I'm saying? An enemy will tell you what you want to hear when you want to hear it. A true friend, a true friend will tell you what you need to hear. And the wounds, the wounds of a friend can be trusted. And you know what Scripture is saying? And if you don't, if I don't 
say what my friend needs to hear. I may not be a friend. A couple years ago, I'm out shopping, me and a buddy of mine. and must have been Mother's Day. Can't think of any other reason I'd be shopping. And we spent the whole morning at the mall. And while we were shopping in the mall, I just, I kept having this sensation, this feeling. And I'd go and we'd shop a little longer. And we get to Chili's. Finally, I excuse myself. I head into the bathroom. I walk into the bathroom, walk up to the mirror. I don't know the theologically appropriate way to say this. But there was a big booger hanging from my nose. So I walk back to the table. I say to my friend, I had a big booger hanging from my nose. To which my friend says to me, I know. I'm like, how long have you known? All morning. I go, dude, dude, why didn't you tell me? He said, you ready for this? I didn't want to embarrass you. I go, wait a minute. You let me walk around in front of thousands of people all morning because you didn't want to embarrass me. I don't think you're my friend. So I'm just asking, what do you do when your friend's got a booger? You say something. And what about when it's a life booger? No. Not what you're thinking. What what do you do when it's a mistake? What do you do when you look and you see your friend and you go, I know that I know that I know that I know what you're about to do is ugly. I know that I know that I know that what you're doing is only going to bring hurt and harm. What do you do for a friend? The scripture says, friends are mirrors. And friends say to friends, can I... You see, I, I know it's probably none of my business. It's what a friend does. It's the new rules. Second new rule. The reason this is so essential is because sin is so tricky. Sin is so deceptive in our lives. See, here's the reality, guys. You and I have an enemy who wants nothing more than to mess you and I over. And sin doesn't come walking up to us and say, Hey, let me ruin your life. Anybody signing up? Ruined life. See, friend, sin comes subtly and says, Let me give you what you need. Let me give you what God has denied you. Let me bless you with sin. And Scripture says it's deceptive and tricky. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles. Go to the right. Go with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is almost to the back of your Bible. Hebrews chapter 3. 
Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 12, talking to Christians about how to treat other Christians as friends. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Here's what it says. See to it. Take this responsibility. Make sure. See to it. That none of you, none of you, corporately, not individually, none of you, has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. Hey, what type of encouragement you think that is, if I'm trying to turn my brother from a sinful, unbelieving heart? Is that what he wanted to hear? Or is that what he needed to hear? And that puts encouragement in a whole different light, doesn't it? This is infusing the courage, encouraging to do the right thing. He says, but encourage one another as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And he's just saying, look, 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 guys, here's the deal. If you and I try to make it on our own, if we play the Lone Ranger Act, and if we leave our friends to make their way on their own, probably none of us make it. Because sin is too deceitful, it's too tricky, and the truth is you and I all need each other's vantage point. We all need that moment in which our friend says to us, look, I know you probably don't see this coming, but let me tell you what I can see. Let me tell you what's down the road if you keep going where you're going. Because if you don't, you'll, you'll get to unbelief. I have people come to me all the time and they'll say to me, version of this story, my husband grew up in church. I mean, he was an attender. He taught Sunday school. I mean, you, you, in total church background. And now, I, I don't get it. Now, he's telling me he's not sure he even believes in God. What happened? How can that be? Would you pray for him? I'll have someone come up and say, you know, I've got this son, I've got this daughter. We've done everything we know to raise them right. And now they're telling us they don't want to have anything to do with church. They don't want anything to do with Christians. They're all hypocrites. And matter of fact, they're telling us they don't think they even believe in God. How's that possible, Lynn? You know what I ask every time someone tells me that story? Does your niece, does your nephew, does your husband, does your son or daughter, do they have sin in their life, known sin that they haven't confessed? Yeah. How how did you know that? Here's how I knew that. A hundred percent of the time. Because there has never, ever, ever, ever been a believer who believed in Jesus Christ, who went to bed one night going, Dear Jesus, watch over me till I wake up. Woke up in the morning and said, I don't believe anymore. Woo! I what was it? Wow! Went to bed a believer, woke up unbeliever. What? It's never happened. It's never happened. Because I'm just going to tell you this. You want to hear this? Okay. People who don't believe in God don't not believe in God over theology. They don't believe in God over lifestyle. Because the truth is, if I let God see my lifestyle, I'd be in trouble. So here's what sin's deceitfulness does. I'm a believer. 
And along comes a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I know, I know, I know I shouldn't cheat. But Lynn, you just don't get, you don't get, you don't get how empty my marriage is and you don't get where it's gone and I've got this connection. And I'm just telling you, it's love. It, it's love like nobody else has ever known in the history of mankind. No two people have felt the way we feel. And God will get it. God will understand it. And the truth is, I'm, it's not going to change anything because God's going to understand this. So I'm going to do what I know I shouldn't do. And here's what Scripture tells us. The moment I do that, I start a progression. Because the moment I say, I'm going to do what I know I shouldn't do, then suddenly without notice, I find myself here going, you know, I just don't get as much out of church anymore. You know, they say a lot of stuff and it's not practical and it doesn't work in the real... I just don't get it. You know, Christians are all hypocrites. You know that, right? You know that they say one thing and they do another thing. And they're all pretending. I don't think I believe anymore. I, I, I just can't get to there's a God. It's the guy or the gal who starts a business deal. It's a deal of a lifetime. It's a once in a lifetime. And it is. It's shady and it means a little bit of compromise and a little bit of fibbing and a little bit of changing what's written. But it's a once in a lifetime thing. I mean, once in a lifetime. And, and I know Scripture talks about being honorable and telling the truth and let your yay be yay and let your measures be true. But this is the 21st century and this is the deal of a lifetime. And I'm just once... That's it. Once. And it's not going to change anything. I still believe in God. I'm still going to go to church. Once. Knowing sin. Doing what I know I shouldn't do. I, I, I'm not, I'm, church. Wow, I don't, yeah, I don't know. That's a lot of time. There's, there's some stuff on TV and... You know, Christians, they're, they're just weak people who, who need some help and crutches. And I'm pretty strong. I don't need crutches. You know, people made up God, right? It's just pagan mythology brought to the new century. And some people need that stuff. But pretty sure I don't believe. And Scripture would say, it's sin's deceitful progression. And what's the answer? The answer is here. The answer is when my friend is first saying, it just once, not going to change anything, that my friend needed a friend. He needed, she needed someone who would throw their friendship on the tracks, who would say, look, 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 look I get it, I get it, I get it. It's not my business. But I love you too much to sit here with my hands folded and watch you do what you're about to do. 
And so I am willing to risk our friendship to say to you what you probably don't want me to say. Third new rule. Every one of us needs a friend like that. Every one of us. Every one of us needs, because here's the deal. If you and I were just to sit and talk, have a cup of coffee today, I can promise you that every one of us would say, Lynn, there was this moment in my life that I did what I, I knew I shouldn't do it. I, I had all sorts of excuses. I had all this going on, and I, you know, I kind of finagled and twisted it until it you know, made sense, and it didn't make sense, but I did it. And I just wish that I wish that I wish there had been one friend who would have loved me enough to throw themselves on the track. I don't, I don't know if it would have changed, but maybe, maybe. And I just someone was someone who said, no, 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 I love you too much to let you do that without a fight. Hey, guys, it's one of the reasons we push small groups and small churches around here so hard. Because you realize a small group or a small church is inviting someone into your life and saying, I'll let you be close enough, see me enough, that if you see me getting out of line, you have my permission to say the hard thing. It's God's answer to not being alone on this journey. And I'm just going to tell you that when you get really, really serious about God and doing this thing and doing it well, you'll realize that it's not a solo act and you'll find some place to invite some friends who have permission to say to you what you need to hear and you'll be the type of friend who will say to them what they need to hear from you. Because all of us need that type of friend. So let me just ask you a question. Who do you know? Who is it in your life who would call you friend and you would call them friend that you go, you know what? Someone, someone ought to say something. Who do you know? And that you would say, I know it's none of my business, but I love you too much to be silent. Who comes to mind? I know what you're thinking. Some of you are going, <laughs> there is, woo. there is no way that's comfortable then. I mean, that's, that's, woo. That, that, woo. And can I just say this to you? <laughs> it never will be comfortable. There will never be a moment you'll go, oh, it's going to be really fun to go tell my friend that. It never will be comfortable. I know some of us in here today are probably going, wait, here's, here's the thing, Lynn. I, 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 I agree. I think you're right. But see, I'm the wrong person because I've done stuff. See, I've, I've really messed up. And if I go to my friend and say to them, hey, you're about to mess up, they're going to go, you hypocrite. I mean, remember what you did when you were 19? Yeah. So someone else, someone, you know, someone else ought to go do it. So let's do that. Let's fix this. Let's just pretend for a minute that's a reasonable answer. Okay? So I'm going to enlist everybody in here who's a perfect Christian to become part of our friend intervention squad. We're going to start one out of this service. You'll call in, give us your friend's name. We'll send the intervention squad. Okay? So here's what we need. All of us in the room who have never backslid, 
have never done anything to embarrass the name of Jesus, have never said I would and then didn't, or said I wouldn't and then did, all of us that wouldn't mind if you put our lives up on the film projector, all of us like that, would you stand? Which means, since there's no one like that, it's up to you and me to be the friend who goes to a friend and says what they need to hear a friend say. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord Jesus, I... We knew, we knew when we began the series that you would ask us to do friendship at a different level. But this is a whole different level. Uh, th- this means throwing away a bunch of the old rules and how we've always, always, always done friendships. It means sticking our nose in into places that it may not be wanted. It means saying things that people we love probably don't want to hear. And yet it may be the most honest measure of a friend. So here's what we ask God. Would you give us the courage, the ability, the eyes, the wisdom to look at our friends who maybe don't get it and don't see and don't understand what you're doing in their lives? And would you give us that moment to look and speak into them, oh, mighty warrior, if you could only see what I see in you, and if you could only get a taste or a glimpse of what God has planned, And what I believe God wants to do in your life. Oh, mighty warrior. And then God, for our friends who are living on the edge and flirting where they have no business flirting. Maybe even just out and out rebelling right now in their lives. Would you give us the courage? To be a friend. A friend who says, look, look, I get it. I get it. This is probably none of my business. But I love you. I love you too much to be silent. So I'm just here. I'm risking our friendship. I know you may not want to talk to me after this. But I just had to say, please don't.
say to you, and their friend would say, Dear Heavenly Father, would you give us the courage? Thank you.